morning. Are you on? Good morning. There we are. It's a little bit cooler this morning than last Sunday. Just can't breathe, but that's all right. We're here. <laughs> if you would, turn to Psalms 103. Psalms 103. The last um, three weeks, we've been looking over three different visions of God. Next week is Celebration Sunday, and we're going to have a special Sunday. Um, the following week, we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, be back in Ephesians. Um, but I didn't want to start back in Ephesians this week just because next week uh, we, would, we weren't going to be in Ephesians. I didn't want to start it and stop it and start it again. So I picked the Psalms 103 to go through. Uh, I looked through a couple different Psalms because you can kind of preach those in one Sunday. You don't need all the context and everything to do that. Um, there's two reasons I picked Psalms 103 this morning. The first reason is it actually, I believe, parallels Ephesians, especially Ephesians 1 through 3. In fact, I'm so convinced it parallels Ephesians 1 through 3, I, I'm guessing Paul was reading and meditating on Psalms 103 when he wrote the book of Ephesians. So I think it's neat to, to go through Psalms 103 since we've been in Ephesians so much. But the second reason is because the last three weeks we've been really focusing on God's power and holiness and his glory. Today I want to encourage us with God's grace and love. Psalms 103 is just pure worship and praise of the goodness of God, of the grace of God. So just a little bit of context. David's the author. We don't know when or why this psalm was written, when in David's life this was written. I believe that's on purpose. I believe Psalms 103 is what one's heart should be worshiping in all occasions of life, in good circumstances and tough circumstances. It, it, it's almost like the psalm ignores the cares of the world and what's going on in a person's life, and it's just pure worship of God and his grace. So today we're going to focus on God's grace and worship of him. Psalms 103 can be split up into three parts. It goes from small to large or from near to far or from personal to universal. So the three points or the three parts of the Psalms are the first one is a personal call to worship, a personal call to worship. The second part is a corporate call of God's people to worship, a corporate call to worship. And the third part is a universal call to worship. So let's look at this first part. A personal call to worship. Psalms 103, verse 1, says this, and this should be familiar to all of us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. In Scripture, whenever you see man blessing God or man called to bless God, it's always praise and worship. That's how we bless God, is by worshiping him and by praising him. And we see, again, this parallel in Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That Greek word there for bless is eulogetos, which is a compound word of you, which means good, and logos, which means word. Eulogetos is, is, means good word. We get the English word eulogy from it. It means to communicate goodness, to give good word, to praise to speak well blessed be god paul is saying god is worthy of our praise praise be to god it's the same thing david is saying in verse one blessed be or bless the lord O my soul all that is within me david david is pleading with his soul 
to worship God with everything, all that is within me. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The name of the Lord is holy, and it's Yahweh. It's the only title or name that's used in this whole entire Psalms. There's many names in the Old Testament that is used and titles of God that are used in, in the Psalms and in the Old Testament. But in Psalm 103, there's this focus on the name of, of God, Yahweh. Every time you see Lord spelled out with capital letters, that is the word Yahweh. That's the name of the Lord. And why should we bless his name? Well, David gets specific in verse 2. Bless the Lord. Again, that's Yahweh. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We should bless God. We should thank God. We should praise God. We should worship God for all the goodness he has bestowed on us. For all his benefits, David says. There is a consistency in the Old and New Testament in how that word bless is used. Again, we said when God is the object of man's blessing, it's always the idea of praise and worship. But when people, when a person is the object of God's blessing, it's this idea of God giving good things or doing good deeds for him. It's an idea of God giving. And again, listen to Ephesians 1, 3. Bless be the, the, the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, praise God. Bless be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In other words, we should be praising God, blessing God, because he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we've gone over that. It's beyond our comprehension. I don't even know what to do with that phrase, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. David is saying a very similar thing here in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David is telling, he's pleading, he's commanding his soul, his most inner being, to worship God, to praise God, to bless the Lord and not forget. And not forget all of his benefits. Why? Why is that important? Because man has a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to focus on what we don't have. We have a tendency to focus on our troubles, which brings discouragement, discontentment, depression. But when you tell your soul and your mind, when you talk to yourself, literally, we talk to ourselves all day. Right? That's what we do. Right? When you talk to yourself and tell yourself, when you take every thought captive, that's what the New Testament says, or, or preach to yourself, preach truth to yourself, and you focus on the blessings of God, you will find joy. Because there are many blessings that we can focus on. In fact, again, Paul says God has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We as Christians, if you have your faith in the Lord this morning, you are blessed beyond measure. You are blessed. We need to remember our blessings. And focus on our blessings. It's one of the reasons we come together as a church. Come together to remember. To remember what God has blessed us. To remind each other that we are blessed as Christians. To encourage one another. 
to hear God's word and remember, to take the Lord's Supper together. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, when you come together, that's, that's assumed, it's a command, you will come together. When you come together, verse 24 says, do this, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance of me. In remembrance of the blessings of God and what Christ has done for us. It's why we come together and sing to one another. Right? Ephesians 5.19 says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Yes, we sing to God and we worship Him, but we also sing to each other to remind each other how blessed we are. How awesome God is. It's why it's important that we meet. Verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What benefits? What benefits are there? Well, <clears throat> Paul just says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and that's just beyond our comprehension. Thankfully, David gives us five benefits for us to look at. The first benefit is found in verse 3. It says this, who, that's God, who forgave us, or forgave or forgives all your iniquities. God forgives all your iniquities. God forgives all your sins, all your trespasses, all your rebellion, all your guilt. And that's true guilt, not the feeling of guilt, but being guilty. All your iniquities, right? This is salvation. It's our greatest benefit that we have from God. Sin has caused a barrier between humanity and a holy God. We've seen that in these three visions. As sinful man comes to God and sees him in his holiness and is terrified by a holy God. But God in his mercy and grace forgives us. He brings us into a relationship with him. This was true for David, who wrote this psalm. An adulterer, a murderer, forgiven. God forgives all your iniquities. Second benefit, who heals all your diseases. This is talking about spiritual healing. Because that word all, it has to be because we're sick. We all will die one day. This is talking about spiritual healing. Man is born with a, with a diseased heart, with a diseased soul. David knew this well. In Psalms 51.5, he writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Man is born depraved. He is born in, in sin. He is sick. He has a sin nature. But it's worse than that. Man is born spiritually dead, as we've learned in Ephesians 3. But look at the verse 4. This is the third benefit. Who redeems your life from the pit. The pit here is the grave. It means death. It could be translated, God redeemed our life from death. Our heart and soul were completely spiritually dead before God acted. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you are dead in your trespasses and sins, in the pit, in the grave, spiritually dead. But God redeemed David's life from the grave. It says, Who redeems your life from the pit. God brought life to our dead souls. It's a blessing that we need to remember. The fourth benefit, not only did God bring life to our dead souls, but look at the fourth benefit. It says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. David is making a poetic contrast here. We were in the pit, dead, in the grave, dead. Now we are alive and crowned by God 
with God's love and mercy. Which brings us to the fifth benefit in verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God satisfies us. He satisfies us with good. God is good and he promises goodness to his people. Right? David knew this well. Again, Psalms 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Look at verse 5 again. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The eagle was a symbol of strength, vitality, freedom. God gave David a renewed youth, a renewed purpose, a renewed strength through his goodness. And this is amazing grace. Free gift poured out on David. God's grace poured out on us. Verses 1 through 5 is this personal, intimate call to worship. David is pleading with his own soul to worship God, to not forget God's benefits, to be thankful to God. Second part of the Psalms is a corporate call to worship. Verses 6 through 18, it's a reflection on God's goodness towards his people. In, in this Psalms, in this context, Israel. Look at verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. David here is reflecting on the book of Exodus and what went on during the, the early beginnings of Israel, when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, and God freed Israel. And in doing so, verse 7, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God made known his ways not just to Moses and Israel, but to Egypt. And not just Egypt, but really to the world. With ten devastating plagues. God showed Moses and Israel that he was a holy God. And he would punish sin. And what happened after that? Israel was free, they were in the wilderness, and God gave them ten commandments which became the foundation to all the laws that we find in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, and Leviticus. God was saying to Israel, this is how you live in covenant. This is how you live in relationship with me. Obey these Ten Commandments. But what happened right, right after God gave Israel these Ten Commandments? They broke them. In Exodus 32, Israel made a golden calf and worshipped it. And right away, they broke the first two commandments. And not only that, Exodus 32, 6 says, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings to this golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Rose up to play in, in the Hebrew there is to play sexually. In other words, they got drunk and fornicated. Israel sinned and rebelled against God. They broke the covenant with this God. Now think about it. Israel in this time, what did they know of God? They saw ten devastating plagues, judgments on, on Egypt for their sin. They knew God was holy, just, and wrathful, and all-powerful. And they knew that they were sinners. And this God was holy. So Moses pleads with God and asks him, How can Israel, how can man have a relationship with you when you are holy and we are sinners? And in Exodus 34, verse 6, God reveals himself to Moses and says, 
Yahweh, Yahweh. You know, this is the only time we see God's name repeated twice. And if you remember from Isaiah 6, the way Hebrew emphasizes something is by repeating it. He repeats his name twice. He's saying, this is who I am. Moses, you want to know who I am? This is what it means that I am Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquities and transgressions and sins. I truly believe that Exodus 34, 6 and 7, these two verses are, are two of the most important verses in all of Scripture and two of the most neglected verses in all of Scripture. One of the clearest statements, if not the clearest statement of who God is in all of Scripture, these two verses. This is God saying, this is who I am, Moses. Israel, a sinful nation. I am a holy God, but I am also a gracious God. And we can have a relationship. Because I am Yahweh, Yahweh, God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now look at verse 8. This is what David writes in the Psalms. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. David is reflecting on Exodus, on the goodness of God. He is meditating on the name of the Lord, which is, which is revealed in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. God is a gracious God, and that's how we can have a relationship with him. God is gracious. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Verse 9, he will not always chide, which means quarrel or attack, nor will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens is above the earth, how high is that? It's infinite. It's as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. To those who fear him, that means his people. To those that have their faith in, in God, in Christ, and what Christ has done for us. For those who understand this holy God, and, and for those that cry out for mercy and put their trust in him. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, how far is that? It's infinite. It's unmeasurable. It's unending. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. Listen, that's good news. That's good news. Talk about benefits or blessings. I just want to say this. If you're struggling with guilt this morning, listen, if you have repented from your sins, and you've turned from them, and you have trusted in Jesus that he has paid for them, and you've asked God for forgiveness, your sins are forgiven. That's what this Psalms is saying, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. You know, I hear this a lot, and I'm not trying to be mean by saying this, but I hear this a lot. Well, I know God has forgiven me, but I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. Listen, you need to repent from that. That's arrogant. Do you really think your standards are higher than God's standards? Do you really think your standards matter more than God's standards? 
I'm not trying to be mean. I'm, I'm trying to let you know you can let go of that guilt. The only thing that matters is God's standards and what he thinks. And here's the good news. If you've trusted in Jesus, if you've asked for forgiveness, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Your sins are forgiven. This is David writing, again, who was an adulterer who had a man murdered to cover up his sins. Find rest in God's grace and forgiveness. Tell your soul, communicate to your own soul, I am forgiven and find joy. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God loves us like a loving father. And he is our father. He's adopted us into his family. And a father will discipline his sons, right? A father, if he loves his sons, will discipline him. And God will discipline us when we stray, but he will never stop loving us. That's a good thing because look at verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Listen, he remembers. He knows. He knows and he remembers that we are fragile. If you have health issues, he knows. He knows our life is is fragile. Look at verse 15. As, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower on the field where the wind passes over it and it's gone. And its place knows it no more. Right? That's such a perfect analogy for us in Tehachapi, is it not? Right? In fact, California has a very similar climate to, to Israel. That's why this analogy works really well for us. If you're from the south, Thomas probably doesn't get this at all. It's always green and never the grass never goes away. But here, it's green for two weeks and then it's gone. Right? Right? We, we have green hills and it looks like Ireland or Scotland for about a week and then it's not. Right? That's the analogy here, right? It's here, and then it's gone. That's our lives. It's, it's, it's just a vapor. Right? And you think about it, we won't be remembered. My, my grandkids, I hope, remember me and know me. My great-grandkids will probably know my names. My great-great-grandkids won't know who I am. It's a vapor. But listen, God knows that, and he loves us. And look at verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Again, this is poetic comparison. Life is temporary. It's fragile. It's like the grass on the fields. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. This is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, that, that, that long sentence that, that Paul writes about. God's love is from eternity past, from everlasting. Ephesians 1, 4 says, God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And verse 5 says, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. From eternity past, in other words, God loved us. From from everlasting, God loved us. And he will continue to love us into eternity eternity future into everlasting Ephesians 1 13 God sealed us with the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee of a future inheritance he promises us an eternity a future 
God's love is from everlasting past to everlasting future. Listen, life is short, but the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to, ch- his, to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, I want to be clear, this is not salvation by works. You know how I know that? Because it's already been clear in, in the Psalms that God forgives his people, that God is gracious. Works are an evidence of salvation. In other words, a person who has been touched by the grace of God will want to serve God, just like Isaiah, just like Ezekiel, just like John. We will have a desire to keep his covenant and to remember his commandments. That's the fruit of salvation, not the substance of salvation. Man's salvation is by grace alone, through faith. And it's clear in the Psalms, which leads to the last part of the Psalms, a personal call to worship a corporate call to worship. And the last part is a universal call to worship. Everyone and everything worship God. Look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. His throne is in the highest place, meaning he has the highest authority. His authority is over all authorities. Verse 20. Bless the Lord. In other words, worship, praise God. Bless the Lord, all you his angels you mighty ones who do his word obey the voice of his word this is an argument from the greatest to the least if the angels these these mysterious awesome glorious beings created by god if if they are called if they should worship god then all creation should worship god verse 21 bless the lord all his host his ministers do his will All the cosmos, the spiritual realm, angels, the physical realm, universe, all his hosts worship God. Bless the Lord, all his work, in all places of his dominion. What's under God's dominion? Everything. David is pleading with the whole creation, both spiritual and physical, pleading with everything and everyone to praise God and to thank him glorify him again i think paul was reflecting on this when he wrote ephesians in the same time he wrote colossians and colossians 1 16 he says this for by him all things were created in heaven and earth visible and invisible that means physical and non-physical whether thrones dominion rulers or authorities that's angels all things were created through him and for him meaning everything that was created was created to worship him to glorify him All creation should worship and praise God. That includes man. Psalms 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiworks. They proclaim, they praise, they worship. Therefore, we should worship him. And that's why David ends where he started. Verse 22, the very end. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Our worship of God is central to who we are as humans. Listen, worship is the most important thing we do as Christians. Both individually, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and corporately, bless the Lord, all his hosts. 
Westminster Confession says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We meet together as Christians to glorify God, to worship him, to praise him. What we are created to do, it's the purpose of the church. I want to end with this. It's a famous quote. I've quoted it often. I've heard Thomas even quote this. It's a quote from John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's a book on missions. And he just wants to make it very clear before he talks about missions. He says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Our ultimate goal as humans and Christians should be worship. And we should have a desire for missions because there's places on this earth where there isn't worship. And that's why we send missionaries out workers out but our goals our goal as a church our goal as individuals should live a life of worship of this great god let's pray dear heavenly father god lord i am in awe of you lord as we've gone over these visions of you gone over the holiness we've seen how great and mighty you are lord God, as we reflect on that and then realize how sinful we are, how we have rebelled against you, how we are made for worship, but we have decided to worship anything and everything besides you in our lives. Yet you're still gracious to us, and you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. You brought life to our dead souls so that we would have a desire to worship you, Lord. God, help us take control of our thoughts Help us to to look at the benefits and the blessings you have poured out on us, your grace towards us, Lord, your love on us, so that our response is joy and worship. Lord, I know I struggle with this. God, personally, I focus on, on, on the hard things. I focus on my circumstances. Lord, help me. God, help my soul to be joy-filled in the grace that you have poured out on me. In your son's name, amen.